21 through 28. And everybody's there. If you don't have it, it's on the screen for your convenience. <laughs> Amen. Matthew 15, 21 through 28 reads, and I'm reading from the ESV version, whatever version you have is fine. Uh, 21 through 28 reads as follows. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O great, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Today on this Mother's Day, I'm going to use for a subject, pardon the interruption. Pardon the interruption. On May the 9th, 1914, by an act of Congress, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for mothers, for the mothers of our country. No other force in a child's life is as strong as his or her mother's influence. Whether that be good or bad influence, that force is undeniable in a child's life. It was Napoleon, the once powerful French leader, who said the future destiny of the child is always the work of the mother. Uh, there is a great deal of truth. And whoever said this, I don't know who, who first said this, but there's a great deal of truth in this statement, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And mothers, if no one else, ought to say amen to that. Listen, by the way, let me just share with you, this is the amen church. <laughs> we like to say amen here. I love to hear amen, so don't feel like, you, you know, y'all know I have to remind you of that. <laughs> The hand, I, I wish I'd have thought of that because in my short 53 years of living, I've come to realize that's a very true statement. There's a lot of truth in that statement. The hand, for a lot of different reasons, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Abraham Lincoln said this of this subject, no man is poor who has a godly mother. Uh, when I was, let me give you a little test uh, to see if you can pass this test. I, when I was growing up, I grew up not far from here in North Tyler. I went to 
uh, Birdwell, which is not in North Tyler. Then they bust us to Birdwell. Then I went to Bolton, which is in North Tyler. Then from Bolton to John Tyler. And when I was growing up in what some might consider the hood, we had a code, right? And I'm going to see if you grew up in the same kind of environment. And then I know Gerald did. He's glad. He probably, he like, I know where he's going with this. Because we grew up neighbors not far from each other. I'm going to see if you grew up in the same type, had the same type of upbringing that I did. If you can answer this question, then that means you had the same experience. There were two words that if they were ever spoken, there was a fight that often followed. Somebody help me. <laughs> y'all grew up in the same, y'all from North Tyler. <laughs> Your mama meant that was a, that because, listen, see, y'all grew up with me. I, I knew y'all, I knew I liked y'all because y'all, we, we connect. You could not, you could say anything about daddy. But if you said anything, I could talk about my mama. But you couldn't talk about it because if you said your mama, that means we're getting ready to get down. It's getting ready to go down right now. There ain't no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care how big you are, none of that. We're getting ready to go down. Yes, getting ready to go down right now. Because we, I don't care if you're a man or a woman. If those words came out, we get ready to fight. If it was a man against a woman. <laughs> because there's just this special bond that we have and love often that we have for our mothers. And you just didn't go there. Uh, it's important on this day and every day to remember mothers. Mothers play so many roles and mothers wear so many hats. They wear the hat of the confidant. They wear the hat of the comrade. They wear the hat of the constituent. They wear the hat of the coach. They wear the hat of the counselor. They wear the hat, thank God for this, of the cook. <laughs> they wear the hat of the cab driver. They wear the hat, all these have them out of seas, so let's go to some other letters. They wear, they wear the hat of the nurse. They wear the hat of the disciplinarian oftentimes. They wear the hat of the defense attorney. Somebody sung about that this morning or said something about that. The mothers were there no matter if you were right or wrong. I don't know about yours, but my mama was always in my corner. Now, she would correct me, but she was always there for me to be my defense attorney. Some of y'all didn't need a defense attorney. Y'all, uh, at least you won't admit you did. <laughs> they wore the hat of intercessor, which means that they... Listen, when you didn't even know it, mama was praying for you. When you had no idea what was going on, there were prayers being lifted for you. Uh, and so mothers wear many hats and play many roles. It's important for us to remember that there are all kinds of mothers with all kinds of different situations that we need to remember. We need to remember uh, if you can, today, to reach out to your mother and tell your mother that you love her. Today, not just today, every day it's important to do that. We need to remember that there are some today that would love to pick up the phone and call their mother, but she's not there to answer. I would be one of those. I would love to have another chance. For a long time, I had uh, my mother's voicemails on my phone. And then my phone messed up and I lost them all. And it just hurt me to my heart because I would go back and hit that button and just listen to her voice. 
It's just beautiful. Um, we need to remember the mothers today who will receive a call or two from their children, but will not receive a call from those children that were born into heaven uh, instead of being born into earth. Are uh, those children that preceded them in death. We need to remember there are those around us where and whose relationship with their mothers is not healthy. And there have been deep, deep wounds left from the past. We need to remember them. We need to remember the foster and adoptive moms uh, that are in the trenches with children from hard places. They often feel like failures in their parenting. We need to remember the mothers that made the greatest of sacrifices by placing their child in the arms of another family to love and to raise them. We need to remember the women all around us that desire to have children but have not been able to conceive. We need to remember all of these. We need to remember that many mothers, in fact, most mothers often feel inadequate and often struggle with what it means to be a mother. On this day, in every day, we need to remember mothers. Scripture records many well-known influential mothers, uh, starting with Eve, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, and the mother of Isaac, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, Lois and Eunice, the grandmother and mother of Timothy, well-known. Then, of course, Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus. These are some of many, many mothers in Scripture who are influential, who were influential in the lives of their children. Uh, in our text today, we encounter one of the lesser-known godly mothers in Scripture. In fact, we don't even get her name. In this text, we don't even know what her name is. It's not mentioned here. We don't get a lot about this mother from this pericope, but some things we do get. Some of the things we get about her is she's a Canaanite. She's not only a Canaanite, but she's desperate. Not only that, but she has an encounter with Jesus. We know these things about her. Uh, we began a series last week on the attributes of God. And in this mother's encounter with Jesus, we will see some of these godly attributes on display as we look at what happens with this mother. Verse 21, let's start there. Verse 21, verse 21 reads this way. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Let's talk about that. In, in, in the preceding verses, Jesus had one of his many confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees. They had challenged him because his disciples were caught eating bread without washing their hands. He explains to them that uh, as they confront him with this, they challenge him about this, saying that, look, they messed up. They're eating bread, didn't wash their hands. Jesus says to them, Listen, it's important that you know that it is not that which goes into the body, into the mouth, that defiles a man. Rather, it is that which comes out of the mouth that defiles. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand what, where he was coming from. So 
uh, he has to further explain to, to the scribes and the Pharisees, he explains to his disciples who was following him, exactly what it is that he was saying about the Pharisees and the scribes because to them, uh, to him rather, uh, they were being hypocritical. They were being pious. They were not being, being too relational. They were trying to hold everyone to this high standard that they were not able to live up to. So Jesus says to his disciples, as he had proclaimed this over the Pharisees and the scribes, he says to his disciples, they are like the blind leading the blind. And you know what happens when the blind lead the blind. Jesus said both of them will fall into a pit. This was his description of these holier-than-thou Pharisees and scribes. He explains it, but then Peter and the other disciples still can't quite understand what he just said. And so Jesus further explains to Peter and the disciples, listen, here it is. Uh, whatever it is that you put into your body will go into your stomach and then be uh, wasted away. But what it is that's in your heart, if it's evil, if it's bad, when it's spoken, it comes out and it does more damage than anything that you can put in your mouth. So he explains this to them. This is what I meant by when I said that it's not what you put in your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth, right? But Peter and the disciples still can't quite understand what Jesus is saying. And so uh, Jesus feels like they should know exactly what it is. He feels like they should know better. And he also feels like maybe they need some further instruction. So to get away from the questioning, harassment, and rejection of the religious leadership, they leave the Jewish confines of Israel and travel north to the, to the region of Tyre and Sidon, otherwise known as the Gentile coastal region of Phoenicia. Uh, this is the only known occasion during Jesus' ministry that he went outside the boundaries of Palestine. Uh, Jesus' intention was to have a time of seclusion and to remain hidden from everybody for a spell. Uh, but, somebody say but. Somebody say but again. But in verse 22, he, he's trying to hide. He's trying to have some private time. He's trying to have some one-on-one -on -one time with his disciples, uh, but there's a but in verse 22. The but, the but is that there's, in verse 22, we find out that there is a desperate mother in the area who was going through a crisis in her family. And she gets wind that Jesus is in town. So she searches him out and she respectfully interrupts his quiet time. She interrupts him while he's trying to have quiet time. This woman, this woman who is nameless, was a Gentile. Mark 7.26 describes her as a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew here calls her a Canaanite. She was a descendant of the Canaanites who had inhabited Syria and Palestine before the conquest led by Joshua of the Promised Land. She was uh, of that lineage, Canaanite. Being a Gentile, she fully understood that she was considered by the Jews to be a second-class citizen, not worthy of the blessings of God, and not permitted to even approach the religious leaders. But, there's a but, but she had a dire situation 
on her hands. And she didn't mind risking the possibility of being mocked, ridiculed, punished, or even killed. When, thing, when times are desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures. And she was in a desperate situation. She didn't care about what might happen to her. She needed to get to Jesus. A few things I'd like to point out about this mother as we look at her story. First thing is, is that she was a troubled mother. She was a troubled mother. Verse 22 helps us to see it because in verse 22, uh, it says, and, and, and behold, a Canaanite woman that, uh, of that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She was troubled. She had issues going on. She had a situation at her hand, on her hands, that she had to deal with. Few mothers, or people in general, I know this is Mother's Day, but listen, let me just share this with you. Everything I'm saying applies to all of us. It's not just mothers, right? It applies to all of us. And you can take what we're learning today from this woman, this mother's story, and apply to, to each of our lives, whether you're a mother or not, whether you're male or female, it applies. L listen, let me say this. All of us are troubled, right? You may not have the same trouble she had, but all of us have our own personal trouble that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, and few of us, including mothers, escape being troubled somewhere along the way. Uh, uh, she had, you know, th there are things like accidents that happen as parents, as people, right? Accidents, diseases, dangers of all kinds. The immaturity of children. She was dealing with all of these things. We deal with all of these things. The presence of evil and destructive influences over the lives of our children. We all face that kind of trouble. None of us can avoid it. It's out there. It's present. We have to deal with it. Her daughter, the text says, was vexed with the devil. She was demon-possessed. What does that mean? What did it look like? I don't know. I don't know how it manifested itself. I don't know what it is that she was doing that made her mother think that she was demon-possessed, but all I know is this. Some of us can relate because some of us have at times felt like our children <laughs> were demon-possessed. <laughs> Sometimes we wonder, did, we, did the doctor switch the child in the hospital? Some of y'all can laugh because you can relate. Some of you like, my child has never done anything wrong. That's just because you don't know about it, <laughs> right? Some of us can relate because we've had to go to the school's house and talk to the teacher and the principal. We've had to, you know, kind of put a little, you know, the Bible says that foolishness is, in, in Proverbs, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now, I'm quoting the King James Version of this. The ESV may say it a little kinder, but here's what King James says. Foolishness is born in the heart of a child, is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. The children are like, oh my God, what, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. A little pine on the behind is always fine, right? We can relate because we've had, watch this, if you can't relate because your child have made you to believe often sometimes that they've been demon-possessed, maybe it was you, <laughs> Let me put this back on because y'all need to hear this. <laughs> Maybe it was you and your mother, your father thought that you were demon-possessed because of some of the things you did. Y'all looking at me like, 
all this. Y'all looking like the Pharisees and the scribes from the early part of this chapter. Like you've never done anything. Here, here it is. Maybe you've just never been caught. I remember a time when I was growing up. I told you, I grew up not far from here. And we, you know, I lived in the hood. So there's a whole lot. Listen, I was generally a pretty good child. Uh, and I never gave my parents much, much trouble. And that's only because, Charlotte, a lot of the things that I did, they didn't know about. I was pretty good. I was respectful in their presence. And I knew how far to push it. But when I was, I'm just trying to help y'all. I'm just trying to be honest and transparent this morning. Y'all can say amen if you want to, or you can sit there and act like you've always been holier than thou. You know, you just didn't get caught. Just admit it. Uh, you know. Uh, but I remember one time hanging out with the fellas, Chris. You know, we was hanging out, and we thought we would try smoking. Somehow, see, back then, you, they did, you didn't have to show your ID. You could just, we got, I don't know, I don't remember how we got, but we got a hold to some cigarettes. Jane, we thought we were going to be grown folks. I was in junior high. And we thought we'd smoke some cigarettes. And so we went out and we hung out and we smoked cigarettes. And my dumb self, I put the cigarettes in my back pocket and came home. And here I am, Gerald, walking through the living room, and the cigarettes are hanging out my back pocket. Since Davis, my mama saw those cigarettes and all H-E double L broke out in my living room. <laughs> I thought a tornado had come through. I'm sure that she thought my child has to be demon possessed. Something's going on with him. What in the world? But you know what? She drove the rod of correction. <laughs> drove the cigarettes far from me. I never had a desire again <laughs> to even look at a cigarette. <laughs> and I thank God for a godly mother. All of us have trouble. All of us have either been there, we've seen it, we've experienced it, or we have been it. This mother had trouble. She felt like her daughter was demon-possessed. The girl seemed to be under the control of demonic powers. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6:12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This mother determined that her daughter's problem was demon possession, and she was desperate because of the love she had for her daughter. Uh, in dealing with this story, our attention is often drawn to the dogs and the crumbs statement of verse, uh, of verse 27, while generally overlooking the fact that she was a caring, concerned mother who was willing to go to any length to get help for her child because her child needed help. She wasn't trying to be famous. She wasn't trying to make a name for herself. In fact, she would probably be surprised that her story even made it into the Bible. She was not, that was not her intent. All she was seeking to do was save her daughter. So she was troubled. But not only was she troubled, she was also a person of great faith. 
I know it's true. She, she, she had great faith in Christ. I know it's true because he commends her for it in verse 28. In verse 28, he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Listen, let me just share with you one thing that I desire and that all of us should desire is to hear those words from Jesus. Oh, woman, oh, man, how great is your faith. Faith will take you places that nothing else can take you. Faith will bless you to overcome situations that nothing else can help you with. Faith can deliver you through times of trouble, through times of any, anything that's good. Faith is what we needed. He says to her, woman, you have great faith. She not only has great faith in Christ, she has great faith for her daughter. Uh, she believed in the divinity of Christ. She believed that Christ was the answer. I know it's true because it's evidenced in how she addresses him. She addresses him this way in verse 22, the end of verse 22. She says, oh, Lord, son of David. It, that wasn't just an ordinary address. That wasn't just an ordinary way to talk to him. It, that, was, that, that was a power-packed statement. In that statement, she was saying to him, I have complete and total faith and trust in you. Let me tell you why that statement is so important. 17 times. In verse, 17 verses in the New Testament describe Jesus as the son of David. This is more than a statement of physical genealogy. It is rather a messianic title. When people refer to Jesus as the son of David, that meant that uh, to them that he was the long-awaited deliverer. The fulfillment of all of Old Testament prophecy when they referred to him as son of David. And so for this mother, uh, Jesus was her only hope. She recognizes who he is, and she, she finds him, and she, she calls out to him, and signifying how much faith she has in him, she says, Son of David, I need your help. Uh, we see this in her desperation. See her desperation in verse 25 when she says, Lord, help me. She can't find help anywhere else. She has exhausted all remedies. She has exhausted all measures and all ways of trying to help her daughter. But Jesus is in town. Let me just tell you, when Jesus is in town, you need to find out where he is. He's not far. In fact, he's always in town. Amen, somebody. He's always near. Matter of fact, the old folks used to sing a song that said something like this, Jesus it's on the main line. Just call him up. Y'all ever heard that song? Jesus is on the main line. Just call him up and tell him. Well, it's not 911. It's 111. One for the Father. One for the Son. One for the Holy Ghost. If you just dial him up, you can tell him what you want. And this mother who was desperate found Jesus. And when she finds him, she says, son of David, help me. I need you. No one else can help me. I have complete and total faith in you. She had confidence in several of his godly attributes. Told you we'd see some of the attributes of God on display in this story. Here it is. She has complete and total confidence in some of his godly attributes. She had confidence in the fullness of his power. 
She had it. She said, uh, I know you can help me. She had confidence in that. She had confidence in the generosity of his love. God is love. His love surpasses anything that we could ever imagine. He has an unconditional agape love. His love reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley, just like his blood. His, his, his love is all in common. And she has complete confidence in the generosity of his love, but not only that, she has confidence in the justness in his mind. And she says, this God, this Jesus, this Messiah is just. He's righteous. He's not going to allow me to leave his presence in the same way that I was when I came. He's going to do something about it. She was extremely persistent and patient. She was a troubled mother. She's a person of great faith. And then lastly, I want to share with you, she was an overcomer. She was an overcomer. Verses 23, 26, and 27, we see this on display. She is an overcomer. She was extremely persistent and patient. She had a lot working against her. She was an overcomer. She was an overcomer. Yes, that's, that, you see that? You see that up there? <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know this mother was an overcomer? If you didn't, let's talk about it. I want to show you. She had, she had, she had extreme patience. She had uh, extreme persistence. She had a lot working against her. She had a lot to overcome. She overcame the concealment of Christ. Because remember, Christ had retired into a place of privacy. And this woman sought him out and found him while he was attempting to be concealed. She had to overcome her race. Her race was working against her. She was a Gentile, which means she was an outcast. She was hated. She wasn't uh, allowed to have an audience with any religious leader. She had to co overcome her race. She had to overcome her sex. Her sex was working against her because, for, for the most part, Jewish rabbis paid little attention to women. She had to overcome that. Uh, it seemed like even the disciples were against her. Because remember in the text it says that they said to Jesus, Jesus, send her away. For she is crying out after us. She is bothering. She's getting on our nerves. Get rid of this. Let's send her away. Even the disciples seem to be against her. And by Christ's response, it may have led her to believe that even he was against her. Because when, when, when she cries out to him, uh, first of all, she asks him for help and he says nothing. He doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything uh, to, to, to answer what she said. Her response was not typical to his silence because rather than getting discouraged or upset, look at what she does. Rather than saying something out of line because she's cried out to him and he doesn't say anything, look at verse 25 and verse 25. Rather, what she does is she worships him. She worships him. This is her response to his silence. She's so persistent, Felton, that she cries out to the Messiah. Messiah said nothing. Her, his disciples say, get rid of her, send her away. And, and her response is to worship. Right? She, she says, I am not letting this go. I am not going away. I am going to worship because I know he has what I need. 
then it gets worse. It gets worse because when he finally does respond, he responds by calling her a dog. He calls her a dog. This is how, by the way, the Gentile, the Jews refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Now, I told y'all where I grew up, right? And, uh, you know, I know now it's kind of the common vernacular that, you know, guys refer to it. But in a negative sense, she could have went totally left on Jesus and said, wait a minute. You know, I'm from the hood. Who? who? You, some of y'all don't understand this. Well, you got me messed up. Some of y'all laughing. Some of y'all like that. I don't even know what that means. That's what happens when you do multi-ethnic church. That's all right. <laughs> Catch me after service. We'll talk about it. She, she said, listen, she could have said, what, who? She could have worked that. You know how y'all work that neck. Who, what, who? A dog. But she doesn't do that, right? She doesn't do that. She, she doesn't respond that way uh, because it was both a test. Now, I don't know if she realizes this or not. It was a test, number one, of her faith and resolve. Jesus uh, consciously does this to teach a lesson and to test her to see if she was going to be persistent enough to hold on to him until she got what she wanted. And so he calls her a dog to test her and also to relate to his disciples and to teach them a lesson. It was a test of her resolve. Not only that, but it was a lesson for his disciples because for them, that, that was who she was. And so Jesus says this to see what their response is going to be also. And to teach a lesson. And he knew, he knows what's going to happen. She doesn't respond that way. She didn't argue his point. Look at what she says. She says, yes, Lord. Would you say that? <laughs> would, you, would that be your response? Would you, that, would you say yes? And she says, yes, Lord, but all I want is a crumb. Right? I understand what you're saying, but I've come, and if I can just leave with the crumb, it'll be all right. Household Jewish uh, pets uh, were known, just like some of our pets today, our household dogs that we have in the house are known to sit under. They were then, this is where it started. This is where our dogs learned it from. They were known to sit under the table during dinner time and wait on crumbs to fall to the floor. Some of y'all can relate because you've got house dogs right now. And they just, well, I've been in some of y'all, and I've, I had one too. They just walk around looking for stuff, fall on the floor, right? This is what the dogs of the Jewish, of the Jewish people who had pets, dogs for pets, would do. They would sit under the table and wait uh, to see if a crumb would fall. And so she responds, I understand what you're saying, Jesus, but just like those dogs that sit under the table, if I could just get a crumb, that's all I need. If I can just get a crumb. This was her response to this seemingly derogatory response from Jesus. It says that she was determined. She was determined. She says, I won't give up until I get what I, what I came for. After her response, Jesus had to stop teaching. He couldn't hold it in anymore because in verse 28, he says this to her. Oh, woman, you have to kind of feel how he said it. Now, I wasn't there, so I don't know his inflection. I can't see his emotion, but I can just imagine. I told y'all a couple weeks ago, all preachers have sanctified imagination. And in my sanctified imagination, 
Dave, I can just imagine how he, what his inflection was, how his eyes looked, how his heart felt when she responded the way she did. And he says to her, looking at her in her eyes and trying to teach his disciples, oh, woman. Because he was pleased at her response. He was pleased at the way she responded. And he says to her, oh, woman. Great is your faith. She was the personification of Paul's description in Romans 28. This is what Paul says in Romans 28. Most of you are familiar with it. When he says this, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall danger, shall sword? No, in all these things, we are, this was this lady, we are more, not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And as I see her in the presence of Jesus, I believe that she, just like Paul describes in Romans 28, was a more than a conqueror because she had already claimed her victory. I'm not going anywhere. My daughter is sick. My daughter is vexed. My daughter is demon-possessed, and you can help her. And I'm not leaving until I get what I came for. Nothing is going to separate me from your love, from your help, from your your, your presence. Right now, nothing is going to separate me because I came to get something. So she came trusting. She came expectant. She came praying. She came earnest. She came humble, determined. And not, she came not to be discouraged. Her faith was rewarded. Her prayer was heard and her daughter was delivered. Because she hung on, she held on, and she worshiped Jesus because she knew Jesus had what she needed. here's, Here's a couple of big ideas I get from this text. First one is this. Divine delays are not denials. Right? So listen. Oftentimes, Jesus has a plan. (laughs) Well, not oftentimes, all the time. And we don't always understand the plan, Dorothea. Sometimes we think because whatever it is that we are asking him for has been delayed, that Jesus has denied us. Sometimes because of his response, we think that he has said no. Sometimes we feel like he has denied, and we can't understand because what we've asked for doesn't seem to be wrong. He's up to something. He's doing something. He is working it all out, like Paul says in 828, and we know, right, that all things work together for those of us that love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. He's working it all out. Here's the other big idea. Christ doesn't mind being interrupted. He wants us to interrupt. He, he, he doesn't mind us interrupting. There is no need for a pardon the interruption because he wants us to, there is no place that he goes that we can't call out to him. There's nothing that he's doing that's more important than we are. She interrupts him when he's trying to have quiet time, but he doesn't mind because he knows that he loves her and he wants her to her daughter to be healed. And so he delivers her daughter, even though the mother interrupted him. He does not mind us interrupting his quiet time. I know it's true because I'm going to close with a few examples. There was a lame man 
who couldn't walk. He was on a bed. But he heard, there's a but, he heard that Jesus was on a preaching tour. And he heard that this Sunday he happened to be in his town. So he got some friends together and he went to the house church where Jesus was busy teaching and preaching. Can I come down here? I feel like I need to get a little closer. He heard that Jesus was preaching and teaching, and he believed like this Canaanite woman that Jesus had the answer for him. But when they got there, it was too crowded. Jesus is in the middle of preaching. He's wound up. He's going strong. He's teaching a lesson. He's preaching a sermon, and the place is packed, and they get there, and they can't get in. So they climb up on the roof. They make a hole in the roof, Brother Tim, and they drop the man down and interrupt Jesus' sermon. Now I'm just telling you right now, if somebody fall through this roof and interrupt, we're going to have problems. Jesus stops what he's doing and heals this lame man. That's not enough for you. There's a man who was blind from birth. He hung out on the road right outside of Jericho. His name, Scripture says, was Bartimaeus. And he hears, Brother Jerry, that Jesus is coming through. He's begging, and when he's begging, he finds out that it's Jesus, and he cries out just like the Canaanite woman, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He interrupts. What Jesus is about to do, and Jesus stops, what do you want? What is it that you want from me that I would receive my sight? The text says that he healed him of his blindness. I got one more for you, then we're going to go home. There's a woman who had an issue of blood. <laughs> Help me preach it, Martha. All right. <laughs> Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter who was sick but has now died. He's making his way since David to Jairus' house. On his way. He's on a mission. He's on a mission. He's headed there, and nothing's going to stop him because he's trying to get to heal this and raise this little girl from death, and he's on the way. And while he's on the way, this crowd has gathered around him, and he can't hardly make it through the press, but he's trying to get to Jairus' house because he's got a mission to fulfill. And as he's making his way through the crowd, somebody touched him, interrupted him, and he stops and says, Somebody who touched me, who touched me? And his disciples say, Jesus, you have lost your mind. Do you see all these people around you? Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, somebody? He said, no, all virtue has been taken out of me because somebody grabbed a hold to the hem of my garment and interrupted me. She had spent all her money, saw every doctor in town, Nobody could help her. But when she interrupted Jesus, he healed her of her issue. Then he went to Jairus' house and rose the little girl. I'm just telling you, 
he does not mind being interrupted. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you. Because you are a God that we can call on anytime. And not only can we call on you, we can call on you with complete and total faith that you can do whatever it is that we need. Thank you that you're just so close. Hmm, if we just call you, you'll be there. Thank you for that. Thank you for the mothers. Thank you, Lord, for this Canaanite woman who was bound and determined to help her daughter. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to, at this time, extend the invitation. There'll be one here who would have a desire to come, give your life to Christ. We'd like to to give you the opportunity to do that today. If you'd like to come, you can come now. We would like to pray with you. If you so desire. Thank you again for being with us today. Um, if your mother is still living, I don't care what the history is. I don't care about any, anything like that. Call her or go see her. That would be even better. Because take it from somebody who wishes they could do that. A day is coming when you're going to wish you did. Please do that. Don't forget on your way out, uh, we're going we're gonna to give the benediction in just a minute. Don't forget on your way out, if you're a guest with us today, <coughs> there's a, Sherry has something for you that we'd like for you to take with you on your way out. Uh, if you're a member and you didn't get one of those already, you can also get one. Um, happy Mother's Day again, daddies, fathers, uh, husbands, you know, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I'm praying for you. You're going to need it. <laughs> if you try, Jeff said he's trying to get on so he can cook. You know, Jeff, okay, I'm praying for you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't need Jesus to come and lay hands on everybody and heal them from the <laughs> I'm not going to even try that. I'm, you know, that's why they have restaurants. <laughs> yeah, let's. So, but, and listen, don't forget we're having a meeting right now for anyone that's interested. It's going to be real brief. Just want to lay it out and, and kind of gather, begin the, the beginnings of gathering a team so that we can have a community uh, uh, block party celebration. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about possibly making this big uh, and doing something great 
And we're going to turn this backfield into just a great place for the community to come for a day and just enjoy themselves and learn about hope and so that we can uh, be a blessing to them. So we want to talk about that at the back table. If you want like to stay, you like to be a part of that team. Doesn't mean you have to lead it. I'm not going to. I know y'all know how I am. If you, if you come up with an idea, I'm going to make you lead it. We're not doing that today. <laughs> so don't, don't be intimidated by that. Just come and share your thoughts and say, I'd like to be a part of that team. We'll meet briefly, and then we'll go home. We'll meet again uh, later to start putting that together. Amen. Again, we thank God for all of our guests all over the place. I don't want to start calling.